Our New Testament reading today will be found in Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. In your pew Bible, that's page 866, I believe. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him, except Peter and James and John and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep. For she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that someone should be, that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. And he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Our second New Testament reading this morning will come from John 15, and it's on page 902 of the Pew Bible. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. The word of the Lord. I'd like to add one more, if I could, um, um, since we're focusing on Malachi today. Malachi 4, 1 says this, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. 
The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But, but, for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Have you seen the, the Facebook of the, of the goats leaping? It's so hilarious. The joy. Leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked under the soles of your feet. For on that day I will act, says the Lord of hosts. The very word of God. Wow, do you ever find yourself in, in that strange situation where you know in your heart things to be true? You have come to that point where you trust God's word and, and you know it to be true, but then life intervenes and, and something happens uh, that knocks you off that center of gravity, that knocks you out of that place where you uh, are experiencing the very things that you know to be true. And honestly, it's not fun and it's not easy. And it has amazing ramifications, doesn't it, for, for our lives. That is exactly what was going on in this situation. Um, people needed love, but what they were experiencing was, was not love. What they were experiencing was unanswered prayer. It's phenomenal. This woman had been bleeding for 12 years. She had tried everything that the culture knew how to do. She tried religious things. She tried medical things. She tried everything that she understood. And it's almost like God was saying, it's not going to happen here. And that produces a crisis of faith, does it not, for us? Because what I do when I'm in that situation is saying, wait a second, are you really God? Do you really have power over all things, God? Or the worst thought of all, thinking back to Psalm 62 now, God, maybe you do have power. Maybe you are able and you're just choosing not to. Maybe you don't love me. Do you see the crisis? I know you do. Many of you have been in that situation. Some are in that situation today. Some are in that today. Certainly, um, for others of us, it's a... It's a, a crisis. It happens suddenly. One day, God seems to be good, and we are used to telling everybody else about it. We might even be leaders like Jairus in, in the synagogue, used to telling people about the greatness of our God, and then it comes home. Then the test comes to your house. Then all of a sudden, you have to wrestle with this reality. How come, if God is so great, my 12-year-old is dying? I love Jairus. Um, he... He was a figure of great standing in this small community of Capernaum. And, and he'd heard tremendous things. Jesus had taken up residence in his town. So this major religious leader has this young rabbi in his midst, just 30 years old, and he's saying amazing things. And, and beyond that, he's doing even more amazing things. And stories are coming back from across the Sea of Galilee, how, how he cast out not one demon, not two demons, but a legion of demons into pigs, and the pigs jumped out. I mean, these stories are phenomenal. And you just saw him get back into town on a boat and your daughter is dying. What do you do? What do you do? I love, I love what he did. He humbled himself and, and went to Jesus 
and said, Jesus, my daughter is unto death. Is there anything you can do? And we're not told the exact words. All we know is that Jesus immediately began to move toward Jairus' house. Now, many of you have, have been, you might not remember that, but you've been near Jairus' house. Many of you have been in Capernaum. And, and you know how narrow those streets are. They're about like this aisle right here, right? But now imagine not, not tens, not hundreds, but maybe thousands of people. We know that from a later story where 20,000 people are present. Thousands of people are with Jesus and, and they're following him in the streets and, and they begin to work their way through these narrow streets. Do you remember the story of my in-laws, Joe and Leanne, uh, Leona, uh, when they were in Jerusalem and they, they didn't, they weren't followers of Christ at the time and they, uh, and they went on Good Friday. Good day to go to Jerusalem, right? They were on the Via Della Rosa on Good Friday. The crowds were massive. And, and Joe is five foot nothing. And, and Leona is shorter, I think. It was shorter. And, and they get caught up in this crowd. And, and one crowd goes that way and one crowd goes that way. And they're kind of waving at each other and say, hope we ever see each other again. And they're just taken along with the crowds, right? It is a zoo. It is a zoo, the, the, the people that are there. And, and, and then there's something else happens. I don't know what was going on in Jairus' heart. I, my, my suspicion is he's like me. He was guarding his heart jealously. He was afraid to believe that Jesus might be able to do something for his daughter. But something interrupts this whole parade. And all of a sudden there's a woman in there. And I always pick on these guys because they don't beat me up. And, and the woman kind of reaches through the crowd. I just showed everybody my rear end. And that wasn't a very good thing. And did you hear that verse in, in Malachi? Um, he will come and there will be healing. And I tr- that Bible translated it. In his wings, literally on the wings of his garment, is healing. And she knows that verse, and she's thinking, if I can just touch the tassel of his garment, I'll be healed. Now recognize something. If she did that, she who is ceremonially unclean will make that rabbi ceremonially unclean. He won't be able to lead worship for a period of time, extended period of time. As a result of that, she knows that. She risks everything and reaches through the crowd and touches the tassel of his garment. And the scripture says she was, there's three, three translations, three uh, gospels all record this incident. The scripture says she was, she was cleansed. She was healed. Her bleeding stopped and she felt it. She knew it. it her bleeding stopped. Can you just imagine? And, and she just withdraws her hand and, 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 and slinks back and says, oh my goodness, this is true. This is true. And, 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 and then, then the unexplainable happens. Jesus stops everybody. Now picture everybody going like this, right? All of a sudden he stops, you know, piling up behind him. And he says, who touched me? And I love the disciples. They, they are real. They're authentic. They just say the first thing that comes to their mind. Are you nuts? Everybody and their dog touched you, Jesus, Right? It's a loose translation of that passage. (laughs) Everybody and their dog touched you. Jesus, what are you talking about? But Jesus says, no, you don't understand. They touched me, yes, but they touched me with the touch of faith and power left me. 
Now, is Jesus not know who this? I, I, my mindset won't allow me to think that. My mindset says he knew exactly was it, who it was. He wanted her to own it. And she did. She did finally. I don't know how long it was. But she came and she threw herself. She threw herself down because the next thing that happens is she gets stoned. That's the next thing that happens. She throws herself down at Jesus' feet. And, and Jesus does that amazing thing. He says, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. So she received not only a physical healing, but something happened in her soul as well. Isn't that an amazing story? And I don't mean to tread on your emotions because some of you are in that situation right now. It's hard not to look at a lady with a neck brace on when I say that. Um, we're in that place. We need physical healing occasionally, don't we? We need emotional healing. You might be in that place right now and, and you're afraid to risk believing that that could be true. But it's such a wonderful story for the woman. What's happening with Jairus? Remember Jairus? What's happening with Jairus? Well, Jairus had a very great need, right? His daughter was dying. And while the woman is being healed, is this the, some twisted cruelty of God or what here? While she is getting her healing, his daughter dies. Dies. And, and, and his servants come and say, don't bother the master anymore. Your daughter is dead. I just can't imagine. I can't imagine. Jesus speaks again. And he uses a euphemism that we still retain in our language. He says she's not, literally, he says she's not dead, she's asleep. Right? But what he actually says is, is she's not sleeping, she's sleeping. She's not resting in peace, she's resting. See how that translates into our culture? She's not resting in peace, she's resting. And did you hear it? They laughed at him. They laughed at him. And so many of you have stood on your faith at different points. You believe that the love of God was greater than your physical trials, than your emotional brokenness, than your, your spiritual aloneness. You believe that the love of God is greater than that. And people have laughed at you as well. You know that feeling. You know what that's like. But Jesus leaves them behind. He goes in with his triad. I had to get that dig in there. Get his triad. Peter, James, and John. He takes them in with the Father. And he says those amazing Aramaic words, Talitha kum, little girl, arise. I love that song, wherever you are, Kristen. I love that church, arise. The power of God is present. Arise and receive it. And, and she does, and she gets up, unless there be any doubt that she was a ghost or some other kind of thing. He says, give her something to eat. Ghosts don't eat. I have that on highest authority. Um, give her something to eat. Do you see what's happening? He hoped beyond hope. Jesus started coming. That hope was broken by death. And, and, and it seemed like all of our options had run out, and then God proves Himself, glorious, unbelievable story of the grace of God. And if you're at that place today, you might not need to hear anything else that happens for the next 20 minutes. You might need to hear 
that God's grace is sufficient for you, you might need to hear that his power is there. You might need to know the unfailing love of God when despite 12 years of unanswered prayer, God still hears. When despite 12 years of a beautiful child wasted in death, God hears. You need to understand uh, the unfailing love of God, which not only responds to your prayers, but proves himself glorious in it. But I want to go a different direction with you today. Because we've been talking about how can we partner with Jesus in, in expressing the Christ life to the world. How can we be like Jesus and, and become the hands and feet, the voices, the heart of Jesus in a world? Am I making this up that needs it more than I can ever recall in my 58 years? How can we incarnate the love of Christ in a world that so desperately needs it? I want to look at this story because I want you to see Jesus in it. And then picking up on some of our other scriptures, I want to see why he was able to do what he was able to do. And maybe, just maybe, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, as we live into his example, we will find power. We will find the love, which is so elusive. We'll find the ability to represent him in a world that so desperately needs it. The question is this, how can we live incarnationally? And let me just do a blanket huge oversimplification and say in response, we have to move from me-centered reality to a God-directed reality. From a me-centered reality to a God-directed reality. If I can, I want to draw on some familiar but critical passages as we, uh, as we try and answer this question and, and see if we can piece together uh, a call of God for our lives here as well. How do we do it? We First of all, we let Christ live in us. If you miss this piece, you miss everything. If you miss this piece, then you're just trying to imitate something else without the power of it, right? Uh, Jesus uh, chides us, you know, about we, we try and live without the knowledge or the power of God. We have to have Christ living in us. And did you hear the word of God from John chapter 15? It's the vine and the branch, which is worthy of our complete attention. But I'm just taking one small portion of it for today. Uh, Jesus says, you've got to abide in me. And, and then he goes on, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Hear that, beloved. As the Father loves Jesus, so Jesus loves you. But you've got to remain in my love, he says. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. What is He saying? How do we let Christ live in us? First of all, we let His love live in us. And and I've said to you many times that it's a lot easier to believe in his power. It's a lot easier to believe in his authority than it is to believe that that power and that authority, that glory is turned with affection toward you. 
It's hard to believe that God could love you. If you're like me, it's much easier to believe that God can love everyone else in the room rather than me. But at some point, you've got to come face to face with the love of God. Deal with it, beloved. He loves you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And, and even then, when circumstances seem like he doesn't, then, then something else is going on, right? In this case, we're talking about this lady, we're talking about this man, 2,000 years later, the testimony of their lives, like the testimony of Chad's life for us earlier, is blessing us 2,000 years later. Why? Because they let his love live in them. As the Father has loved me, Jesus said, so I have loved you. Remain in that love. That's that word, camp out. Backpack, set up your tent, live in that love. But secondly, he says, uh, uh, if you obey my commands. In other words, we have to let his word live in us too. Live in us. We've got to hide his word in our hearts. Psalm 119, right? We've got to teach his word to our children. Deuteronomy 6. I'm sorry to just tap these verses and run, but they're powerful. We've spent whole weeks on them, even a whole series on them. They are powerful. We've got to study his word together with other people. I just came from a class where a small group of us were, were studying God's word. We're talking about the kingdom of God together. And, and each person brings something. There's something that happens when we get together with others, with his people, and open that word together. I praise God that he brought you here right now for that same purpose. So we let his love live in us. We let his word live in us. And, and the beauty of this is that then his joy lives in us. We can let his joy live in us. Now, do you remember as we explored this, the subject of joy, we said that joy is a spiritual reality that's based on, uh, on, on that relationship with Christ. Do we have that, um, Rita, do we have that slide of the, of the schematic of our souls? I think it might be like slide two of this series or whatever. Oh, she is so good. Um, we, we, we talked about, um, about how we are a spirit, soul, and body, and at some point we have to come to this, this reality that joy, body might have the, the experience of pleasure and touch, soul might have the experience of, of happiness, but joy only comes when your spirit is alive. And Jesus charges us, he challenges us, live out of joy, live out of the spiritual reality rather than the physical or just the emotional one. Let us joy make, I'm going to, put, I'm going to say it differently, let his joy make you complete. Isn't that beautiful? Press through. Oh, men and women who've been praying for 12 years, press through and for the joy. Don't settle for anything less. Don't be like Abraham and Sarah trying to manufacture God's solution when he's got something even more glorious, right? Don't be like Moses and running and hiding the backside of the desert because it looks like God must not be able to do what he promised. Believe it. Risk going right back in to the most frightening aspects of your life. Let joy guide you. I'm preaching to myself, you guys, because I'm just like you. 
when circumstances change, then I, I find myself worrying. I find myself becoming anxious. Um, Jesus says, I've got another way. And it's the way of joy. So let Christ live in us. His love, his word, his joy. But especially, and this is, this is the incarnational part, becoming flesh. I'm sorry, I used that word. We didn't talk about it. Incarnation means to become flesh, to literally become flesh. In John chapter 1, we're told that the word, which was with God and was God, now has become flesh and dwelled among us. And, and the disciples say, we beheld his power and his glory. To live incarnationally is to dwell among the people to which the love of God is being extended and to, and to incarnate, become the presence of Christ in the midst of that. So how do we let Christ live through us? Well, in our passage in John, he said, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Love everyone you encounter, your, your friends, your family, your neighbors, your co-workers, your enemies. Love them as Christ has loved us. How do we do that? In Philippians chapter 2, a, a very famous passage, we can see a schematic of, of what that love looks like. Let me read it for you. In my mind, I'm going, go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. And I found it. Philippians 2. If there is any encouragement, beloved, in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the Spirit? Is there any affection and sympathy? Is there? That's a rhetorical question. What's the answer to each of those? Is there any comfort in His love? Yes. A little shaky, but two of you think that there's comfort in His love. Is there any comfort in His love? Yes. Is there any participation in the Spirit? Is there any, is there any affection and sympathy in Christ? Yes, right? Then, then make my, my joy, Jesus says, or Paul says, complete by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and having one mind. Don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Then he says the key for us in, in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to describe an amazing progression. Some of you came from far distances. I see um, people from Japan. I see people from, from Boonville. I see people from, from Oklahoma. I see people from great distances who are with us here in this place. And we're grateful for that. We're grateful for the energy you expended to be in this house of worship at this time. But Jesus didn't come from Oklahoma. He didn't even come from Japan. He came from heaven. He left heaven to come be with us, to come to earth, to be with us right here. Our attitude is that of Jesus who, who set apart, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself of that glory and became just like us. He became human. So there's four levels. It's not in your notes here, but real quickly, he became human, right? And then he, um, then he became a servant human, took 
the form of a servant. He didn't come as a king that first time that he came. He came as a servant. And then he died as a servant human, right? And, and, and at a fourth level, he died humiliating, naked on a cross, death of a criminal. Why? So that you and me might discover life. So that we might experience his love. And, and Paul says we've got to have that same attitude. We've got to have the attitude of Christ. What is that attitude? I always struggle here because the word is really... Um, he's calling us to be humble, but Mac Davis, if some of you are old enough, ruined that for me many decades ago when he said, oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're, help me. Oh, I'm not the only old fogey in the room. Okay. Yeah, when you're perfect. And so, so I disassociated that from its meaning and all I can hear is Mac Davis and that, but it's the, actually it's the word humiliate, right? And I know that word and you know that word. Um, humiliation, um, he says, uh, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who was humiliated, who was humiliated, who chose humility for the glory of God. I do love it. I'm sorry I didn't look up who said it first. But humility doesn't mean thinking less of ourselves because you are a child of God, created in his image, and, and you are going to be glorified through your faith in Christ. Humility uh, humility doesn't mean thinking less of ourselves. It means thinking of ourselves less. And Christ was not thinking of himself. He was thinking of you when he chose to do this. So we risk leaving our comfort zone to engage the lives of real people. Christ left heaven. We have to leave the safety and security of the church. We have to go to where the people whom we're called to love are. Jesus left heaven to come to earth, and we're not even willing to walk across the room. What will they think? They'll think I'm a pushy Christian. Well, what happens if they don't ever see or meet or experience the love of Christ, right? We've got to be willing to enter their world. We've got to love unconditionally. Unconditionally. Wait a second. They don't think the same way that I do. That doesn't matter. I don't think the same way that Jesus does, and he loves me. Right? Um, they don't, they don't uh, dress the same. They don't have the same skin color. They don't have the same gender. We, they don't have the same things that I do. It doesn't matter. Just Christ asks you to love them. To love them unconditionally. How do we do that? We immerse ourselves in their life situation. In the situation of the people we're called to love. I love this from the parenting class. Thank you, Kim and Doug, who are leading that. Um, we take our cues from them. We take our cues from them. When they rejoice, we rejoice, right? When they grieve, we grieve. We take our cues from them and meet them. Jesus knew he was going to heal that woman, right? Jesus knew he was going to raise that girl from the dead, but he still entered into their situation. He still became one with them. He walked that dusty road with them. We immerse ourselves in their life situation. We take our cues from them, but we also listen attentively. We listen. We shared over and over again that the first act of love that you can give anyone is just simply to listen to them, 
right? Listen to their story. Listen to what they're saying. Love them in the midst of that and communicate that by listening to them. There are some wonderful skills that, that you can develop to help that listening. We serve them unconditionally. We serve them unconditionally. Does it matter where they come from, what flag they're flying over their place of business or their home? It does not. It does not, unless it's a USC flag, and then you don't serve them. No, I'm sorry. Little, little flashback, little flashback from my past. Um, you serve them unconditionally wherever they come from. So, you see what we're saying? Um, a lot of us say, I don't feel love. I have to be authentic. I don't feel love for them. Jesus never said feel love for them, right? He said love them. Listen to them and serve them. And I would add here, it's not in your notes, but I hear pray for them. Why? Because it's really hard to not love somebody you're praying for. It's even harder to hate them, right? It's really hard to not start to get in the heart of God for someone when you're talking to God about them. Pray for them. Speak the truth in love. See how late down this thing speaking is? See how far down? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven points. And this is just my little outline here. Seven points down now. Now speak. When you do, um, speak truth. Speak truth. And trust God for the outcome. But do it in love. Do it in love. If they don't hear the truth, they're going to suffer unimaginably as a result of it. So you've got to risk speaking it, but do it out of the relationship that you've established by loving them and rejoicing with them and, and, and listening to them and serving them. Speak the truth in love to them as well. And lastly, whether literally or figuratively, we lay down our lives for them. Now, wait a second, I've got family. What happens? Um, you might not get the luxury of having that conversation with yourself. John, Jesus said in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that he should lay down his life. It may call for you to lay down your lives. Oh, my gosh. I just remember being in a room with about 60 college students, and um, we're, I was getting ready to graduate. Some of them uh, wouldn't graduate for another year or two, and we were looking around, and we're thinking, we'll never be in this room, this exact group of people again. Um, and then we started wondering, what will it be like? And we kind of started imagining for different people, ah, I know Maria, she's going to become a doctor. I know this person, they're going to become, they just have a passion for the mission field. They're going to do that. This person's going to change the world through their, their financial abilities. And we just kind of imagine, well, guess what? We still get together. We still get together. In a few weeks, 50 or 60 of us will be together in Salem. And it's unbelievable what God has done with that group. What could God do with 160 souls that are in this room right now? What will he do? I can almost look at you and, and start to imagine that. Because I've gotten to love you. I've gotten to know your heart. But I can't wait. I can't wait to see the demons that run from you, Sherry. I can't wait to see the, um, the culture that is transformed as a result of your love for them. I can't wait to see what God is going to do. But we've got to step into it, beloved. 
Right? At some point, we've got to say, I'm going I'm to risk overcoming my paralysis. I'm going to risk overcoming my fear. I'm going to risk laying down my life so that God's purposes might be accomplished. How can we possibly do that? We were just talking about this, right? How can we possibly lay down our lives? Because we believe in a God who's able to raise them up again. Amen? Amen? We believe in a God who is able to take uh, death and make it life. And so we have nothing at stake here. In a sense, we've already died. In a sense, we were buried in the waters of baptism and God raised us up as a precursor to the hope that we have. And we don't have to fear that. But if you're stumbling still, know this. Paul said he's not looking for people to go out and be martyred. He's looking for people who every day be living sacrifices, Right? who lay down their lives for, for people not like them every day. And should God require your life, then you will willingly give it, but most likely he won't. Most likely he's got a heck of a lot more people for you to touch and to bless. We lay down our lives for others, and we expect the same outcome that he experienced. Rejection, persecution, laughter, Right? Fill in the blanks. John 1.10 in that passage where the word became flesh. John 1.10 says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Don't think that people are going to say, Oh, goody, I'm going to jump on board with you. No, they're going to jump on board when they see you living out the life that you're inviting them to. They're going to jump on board when they see Jesus in you. So what... What is possibly going to enable us to live and to love in this way? In John 13, 5, the word of John says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God, and that he was returning to God. What will enable us to live and love this way? when we focus on what we know to be true. Are you a child of God? Are you? Did Christ die for you? Did Christ call you among all the peoples of the earth? Did He say, you didn't choose me, but I chose you? Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus knew where He had come from and where He was going. You know where you came from. You came from God, you child of God. Where are you going? You're going back to God. One day you're going to stand. We're going to stand in His presence and hear Him say, Oh, please, God, well done, my good and faithful servant. Be glorified. Oh, my goodness, that's what's in front of us. What could possibly take that away? Nothing in heaven or on earth or under the earth. The world, our own flesh, the evil one, nothing can take that away. What enables us to live the Christ life is the ability to live out of what we know to be true. Worship team, come on up if you would. What we know to be true is this, is that we are loved of God and the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end they are new every morning 
Oh, God, thank you for your love for us. There's not anything in me. I'm pretty confident in my friends here that would say, um, we deserve that. No, uh, God, we are pretty realistic. We know exactly what we deserve. But you chose. You chose to love us. You chose to become one of us, to show us not only how to know God, but how to live like we know God and how to help other people see God. Oh, God, I ask that your love would wash over us right now where there are those who are not confident of that, that you would grant them that mustard seed of faith, that little tiny amount of faith, God, that will transform their lives as they lean on it, that will allow them to grow as your word says, an oak of righteousness to to grow and become a pillar of strength to themselves, to their families, to the people who see them, to our church family. God, pour out that love of God on this place even now. And Jesus, we just confess to you, many of us, that that we have been me-centered. We have lived our lives for ourselves, and we have been God. And, and circumstances and the inner voice of your Holy Spirit has prompted us to recognize that we're not. We need you. Would you come into our lives even now? Would you transform our minds? Would you heal our bodies and our emotions? Would you allow us to receive this gift of love that you're offering for us? And God, I pray for those of us who've walked with you for a long time but have become callous and, and have become um, ritualized and, and have just been walking our way, not realizing that all around us are people that desperately need the love of God. Would you, would you open our eyes, open our hands, open our hearts, God, open our mouths to be the presence of Christ and to communicate that love? And God, I know if we're able to do that, nothing will ever be the same Pour out that love on this place even now, would you? Lord Jesus, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.